0: What if everything you thought you knew about the criminal justice system and high-profile criminal cases wasn't true? Join a veteran Buffalo City detective, a veteran Canadian Pacific police captain, and a veteran NCIS special agent, along with their guests, as they dissect the criminal justice system and high-profile criminal cases from their perspective in an unvarnished podcast focusing on crime, corruption, and immediate bias it's search warrant coming right at you welcome to search warrant i'm john Snedden, a veteran ncis special agent here along with my co-hosts anna midlars a veteran buffalo city police detective and tom purcell a veteran canadian pacific police captain today we have a special guest to give us a first person look inside big-time college sports from the perspective of an NCAA compliance officer, specifically an inside look at Penn State football from the perspective of an NCAA compliance officer during the alleged scandal.
1: Um, Today, our guest uh, is John Bove.
0: Mr. Bob is a uh, graduate of uh, Westchester University having had re- having received a BS degree as well as an MEd. Um he started coaching co- his career at a uh Sil- Silencium school in Wilmington, Delaware um where he- where he was coaching under uh, legendary coach Dim Montero, uh followed by uh, positions at Drexel University. University of Vermont, East Stroudsburg University, and Westchester University. Uh, He started at uh, Westchester University in 1970, approximately, as a faculty and assistant football coach. Uh, He was a tenured faculty member there, an assistant football coach, and served as acting director of athletics during the director's sabbatical. Uh, he's a member of the uh, president. He was a member of the president's athletic advisory committee, uh, and then he left Westchester University in 1979 to join Penn State football. Um, in 1979, from 1979 through ni- 2009, um, Mr. Bo was at Penn State University as an assistant football coach, um, and he was fortunate to be a staff member of Penn State's first national champion football championship football team in 1982. he also had the positions as a recruiting coordinator and director of penn state university summer football camps he pars- he also participated as a staff member in approximately 26 26 football bowl games um he left on the field coaching to become the uh, a, a senior athletics compliance administrator for all sports and approximately 10 years for approximately 10 years and served as a member of the NCAA legislative review committee served as an NCAA peer review
1: team member um welcome to search warrant uh Mr. Bove Thank you John um I, I
0: I'm uh, just amazed by somebody that uh, was on the staff for 26 football bowl games. And <laughs> incredible, incredible. Yeah,
2: that was the good fortune of being uh, at Penn State University. Uh, they
0: didn't miss many bowl games. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, sir. That's that's obvious. So, um, in re- in regard to your involvement, uh, you have a very lengthy. Uh, experience at Penn State uh, over 30 years is that uh, 30 years is that correct that's correct Um, yes sir and and you work with uh, uh, legendary football coach Joe Paterno is that right that that was my good fortune yes sir and could you tell us what your position was at the time that the uh, alleged scandal broke at Penn State well at that time I was off the field
2: in the compliance uh, arena And uh, I had, uh, you know, I was shocked, surprised at the allegations. Uh, Not sure. It certainly was hard for me to understand or believe. Uh, But at that point, uh, I did get involved and wanted to help out uh, by speaking with the free group. They did not have subpoena power, but I was anxious and eager to help. Uh, both parties, Penn State University dominantly, and then help them with doing a legitimate and accurate investigation.
1: How many times do
0: you think you were interviewed by the free group?
2: Well, I know how many. I was interviewed twice, and then I stopped on a third time to uh, deliver some documents that I wanted them to see but i spent uh, i initially i took the last interview of the day for my first uh, uh encounter with the free group i met with three individuals in the, in the uh meeting room when i walked in i looked for tape recorders and uh they said we're not going to tape this we're going to take notes So then I said, well, when you're done and you write these notes up, uh, I would like to be able to review them to make sure that I got across exactly the information I was attempting to get across to you. And I was responded to by, I'm sorry, we cannot do that, it's attorney-client privilege. I didn't uh, think that was accurate, but I sat there and said, well, okay let's get on with it and i continued and stayed and uh, answered their questions
0: were were there did they ask actual questions or did they ask leading questions or did they make statements and wanted you to confirm or deny those statements? Well,
2: they, you know, I can't recall everything that, that went on, except the things that I responded to, uh, I, I that stand out in my mind. Uh, I could say that possibly uh, <coughs> they did ask one question that I recall that I responded to was, uh, why do you believe you did not have a, a many staff members in compliance, because in those days, Ohio State had about eight to 12, Michigan had about eight to 12. And that was typical. They were growing uh, the compliance staff uh, at a fast rate, and we weren't doing this. And I said, listen, I've been at Penn State for many years, and I know the culture, and I, I used that word culture, which became a word they were throwing around, you know, they being the investigators and they being the uh, the law enforcement. And I said, at Penn State University, all the time I've been here, I knew darn right well we would never ever have to worry about dealing with a major violation. And as I speak to you today, Penn State has never been accused or convicted of an NCAA major violation because of the leadership of Joe Paterno, in my opinion, and the integrity of the entire staff, all thirty sports or so, I just was there long enough to know and be comfortable with that I wasn't going to have to deal with any of those things and i proved it proved to be right uh so what I did say uh is uh you know think about this, Michigan had a large group of compliance people, but in those days they had a uh, after uh, they had a the head coach Rodriguez was hired at Michigan and i know that they could not collect one practice report over an entire season and a spring practice from Rodriguez and why he did that was to determine whether or not they were satisfying the 20 hour a week practice rule That was one of the ways that was uh, used to try and document the compliance with that rule. He did not turn one in, entire uh, season and entire spring practice. Well, eight to 12 people, that didn't help them out. And then I went to the Ohio State staff, not criticizing the staff, but just reminding them that numbers don't necessarily mean Was at Ohio State days of when uh, Terrell Pryor I think was the quarterback there, and uh, uh, they got into a little bit of trouble with selling things, uh, supposedly tattoos, car rentals, or you know being allowed to use a car rental, maybe not paying. I don't know the specifics, but either way. And the leader, I'm sorry, I want to stop here. The leader at the compliance at Ohio State, I respected all the compliance people at Michigan State, but that didn't help. So numbers, it was a matter of culture to me. That's why we never had a problem, because it was a culture that started back at least and maybe before Rip Engel, when Rip Bangle went to Penn State and Joe went as an assistant, because uh, I got to meet those people. Rip Bangle was still alive and they were just people that wanted to do it the right way it was that
1: simple when
0: when you think back on the uh firestorm that uh during the alleged scandal when everybody was uh running around the uh you know the free private investigation and the uh i believe the uh state uh investigation also parroted that it was a culture football culture program. What was what was your reaction to that? I was exceptionally disappointed because they obviously didn't
2: know our program culture. In fact, in that free group uh, meeting, they, it was something about we were we hid the the people involved hid this, tried to hide it, because they didn't want the media attention. And I told the three people in the free group that I was with, I said, listen, you obviously don't know Joe Paterno very well. I said, if you recall, we had a young man named Anwar Phillips who was alleged to have raped someone. And this was prior to his senior year. And Joe met with Anwar. Anwar said, coach, I didn't do this. Joe came out, said to us, listen, guys, I believe him. I'm playing him. Now, if he cared about the media attention, you're gonna play a kid who hasn't been to court yet, charged with rape. Because that court case wouldn't have happened until December or so, so his senior season would have been over. And he also did it with our quarterback, who was alleged to have uh, fought a off-duty police officer in Hoboken. And the same thing, he came in in preseason. it was his senior year, he told Joe I didn't do it. And the kid, they both were innocent. And the kid in Hoboken, the quarterback, he actually was awarded some money, I guess, in a civil suit. So I said, if Joe Paterno was concerned about paying attention, do you think he would have played those guys? Yeah. And 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 that was my response at that time because he, did, he, he didn't he he wasn't worried about that. And what if those kids were guilty? Then he'd have been a really you know, criticized greatly. I guess for playing them, but right. uh, you know, Joe wasn't that way. He he believed them. He turned out they were truthful. It was correct. So I think Joe Paterno trying to hide something. No, no, none, none of them. None of them, in my opinion, not Tim, not Spanier. Uh, you know, not the, our vice president.
3: Oh, Gary. Uh, Ger- Gary
2: Schultz. Yeah. Right. So. Um, I, I just uh, thought that that was, uh, that was an assumption they were making, and they, and in my opinion, they were wrong.
0: Under, understand. Um, so you also, um, obviously were a, uh, assistant football coach, uh, at Penn State under, under Joe Paterno, right? Yes. Um, okay. And, um, yeah did you also run the uh the football camps for the
2: yes kids in yes, the, okay. yes i had
0: i was director of the summer sports camps for high school kids okay um and you're familiar with uh did you did you coach at all with uh with jerry
2: sandusky yes i did i was a defensive coach jerry was a defensive coordinator we sat around the table every day game planning for many years uh, Uh, Now, I I, I do want to, why I would say this, I guess I don't want it to sound, you know, we were never, uh, our staff, when you work in football, you're there seven days a week till 10, 11 at night, some people sleep, uh, our staff was not a late working staff, believe it or not, if you consider 10 or 11 late, but we never had time to socialize, and all my time there I've been, to. I was at Jerry's uh, house one time after a football game when he had an outdoor picnic. It was in the early, like, September. And then Franny Ganner, who was an uh, offensive coach, on a couple occasions, Franny had us all over his house. But that's it. in all my time there, we never, ever had a chance to socialize, whether it be at restaurants with our wives, at each other's house it just didn't happen but we worked every day together
0: okay um and and did, what were you what were your responsibility you were uh, uh, on the defensive side of the ball is that correct that's correct okay and and so was jerry i take it
2: yes he was Jerry coached the linebackers and i I had two different positions during my time on the staff. I had coached the outside linebackers originally, and then I coached the secondary.
0: How how um how many years do you think you work with uh, uh, Jerry? Well, uh, off the top, actually,
2: of head. on the Penn State staff, football part of it, let's say. Well, I I worked with them. I worked with those guys the entire time I was there. But directly in football, uh, let's see, 79, around 90. So it was a good while. Listen, I knew Jerry before I went to Penn State. As football coaches, we all talked to each other trying to learn something. So I would visit Penn State when I was at Westchester to talk football. How do you teach this? How do you teach that? And that's what we all did. We did it at Penn State. We would go to schools to discuss football. So I did know Jerry before that.
0: Well, um, uh, John, let me tell you that I uh, was absent in uh, saying in the beginning that uh, we also have uh, Anna Midlars, a, uh, a veteran detective from Buffalo City Police, and Tom Purcell, a uh, veteran uh, police captain from the Canadian Pacific Police with us. But I know Anna had a question in regard to uh, Jerry.
3: Yeah, hello, Mr. Bove. it's Anna. Hi, Anna. Hi, um, I do have a question about Jerry. Um, if you could just expand on, on what kind of guy he was. You knew him even even before you were football coaches? Before I worked with him, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, what was he like? Is he, can you tell us a little bit more about him? Well, sure. First of all, Jerry and his
2: children were all adopted, and I guess it's five. I guess eBay was the first child they adopted as a baby, but for some reason they couldn't have children. They adopted at least five. It was, a, um, and uh, and I I uh, knew Jerry as a. You know, I sort of saw him as a big kid. He loved to play sports, pick up games, basketball, softball. If he could create some kind of, you know, game or get together in sports. He always did that. But he was raised, I believe, in a uh, – his father and mother ran, like, a, I, I call it a boys club, girls club thing in Washington, T.A., So he was always around that kind of stuff. I I think they lived on top of the facility, so you grow up being a kid that's always around some kind of sport activity or fun and games, and that seemed to be in his blood. Uh, Now, as a citizen, I never heard Jerry say a bad word or curse or swear. Uh, never tell a, an off-color joke, uh, never never drank alcohol of any kind. In fact, I remember one of the savor drinks was papaya juice. And then he was certainly health conscious, worked out all the time, exercised every chance he would get, um, was a, active in his church. Uh,
3: yeah, I've heard that before. Of, yeah.
2: yeah, so... Uh, to say that I was surprised uh, is is accurate. I was surprised. I and I and I'll say this. I, I it's hard for me to believe that Jerry did stuff like that. Uh, and and if I can plug this in right now, if you recall, in the uh, court case, there was a doctor, John Dranoff, was my <laughs> medical doctor. And Mike McQuarrie was known by John Dranoff since he was a little child because Mr. McQuarrie was worked with Dr. Dranoff in their medical facility, and I'm sure they attended Duke University together. So the night that Mike McQuery walked into the locker room, he went home, and he was upset. So Mr. McQuery calls John Dranoff to go over and question, Here, listen to Mike, see what he has to say. Well, in court, and John Dranoff told me this personally, he said, John, I asked him very clearly three times that night. And he described every sexual activity or whatever you could think of. And he said, John, three times Mike said he did not see anything like that. He was troubled that Jerry was in the shower with the young man, and I believe they said he really saw it through a a looking glass in the locker room. Mm -hmm. So I always get puzzled about, no one wants to stop and think about, that Michael really, as testified to by John Dranoff in court, never saw uh, any sex act of any kind so Mr. that Pope, always puzzled me so uh did, he, yeah,
3: Pope, did the um did the free investigators ever ever ask you about that or did you get to tell them anything about that well no see i
2: didn't listen at the time i interviewed with the free group i did not know that information i
3: okay. see Did you ever meet with Mr. Free or just his investigators? No, not Mr.
2: Free. I think his top lawyer, I think, was a fellow by his first name was Omar, I think. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I don't think Mr. Free had a large enough staff to, without going out and hires, getting some of the uh, probably his former FBI agents. And I know there was a state policeman in Delaware they used to go around interviewing people. And uh, so, uh, uh, you know, I know there was a former FBI person sitting in my meeting, and then there was an NCAA
3: person. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and uh, back to the report that they, they took from you, after after you read the published report, was it the same as what uh, you said to them? Or was it changed? They didn't let me read my, my the
2: summary of my interview they they invoked the attorney client privilege and i called two highly two lawyers that i respect greatly and they told me that's not accurate that they they that attorney client privilege was not appropriate in that matter in that yeah. situation It doesn't, per,
0: doesn't pertain to that right yeah what's a you know people lose sight of the fact that the free investigation was a private investigation you know, That's correct. That's it has correct. nothing to do with his previous political uh appointments. Um so um and again you worked you worked with uh you worked under uh legendary football coach Joe Paterno for how many years do you think? Well listen, I worked with Joe all thirty years. You had to. You couldn't you couldn't avoid
2: it in the athletics department. <laughs> and and because of the early You know, Ty was him is him accepting me as a football coach. We were, there was always something we had to deal with and talk about. And, you know, Joe was, when I, a lot of people, they should hear this. When I was uh, in the compliance office, Joe, you know, football coaches were not allowed to have personal contact with prospects at certain times during the year but yet they would get invited out to dinners and speak here and speak there. It's kind of a crazy rule, I thought. It was a very difficult rule to uh, not end up in a violation. And what they would do is you go to a a dinner and you know prospects are gonna be there. The NCAA says, you know there's gonna be a prospect there, you have an obligation not to have a face-to-face encounter with that prospect, regardless of the conversation that occurs. So Joe goes to a banquet, and, and you know, you you can't have a big fence around him. You can't have all these bodyguards. So someone's going to run up and ask for an autograph. And uh, so Joe comes home, and he calls me. He says, John, you might as well turn this one in. he said, there's a couple awfully big young kids that came up to me for an autograph after the dinner. So I don't know if they were players, but let's just report it. And that happened with other coaches. That's the culture at Penn State. It ha- i never forget our volleyball coach called me from a site. Tommy Bradley, who was one of our coaches, was out watching a high school football game. And someone came up, it was a parent of a prospect, sat by Tom, started talking, and Tom called me from the stadium. Said, John, I didn't look for this, but this person sat by me and their so-and-so's father, he write it up and that was the culture of Penn State not what a lot of other people think about
0: right so, it certainly sounds like uh you guys were on top of uh what you needed to report and well you, you know going
2: back to my i just remembered something about the the free and in, inter, the interview with the free people when i told you, i brought up about the uh, practice and playing season reports and that they weren't turned in at michigan so I said to them when I was in that conversation, I said, listen, we're finished here. Let's go over to my office, and we'll pull every practice report out for football and all 30 sports, and you'll see the date stamped on it when it came into my office, and every Penn State football practice and playing report will be in my files, and you can look at any other sport if you'd like to. I, I asked them to come with me to look at, so I couldn't have done anything to not make it, you know, to right. trick them. Right. And, but they didn't come. So, yeah. uh, and yeah. that, that was uh, never a problem with us, never.
0: Right. Now, um, Tom, Tom, you have a question, don't you?
4: Yeah, I actually have a, a couple of seconds. First of all, uh, Mr. Boe, thank you very much for coming on with us. Oh, uh, you're welcome. It's important that people of your integrity can speak up and say the truth. I didn't see this. I was held back from seeing the Freed Report, or they they didn't have recorders. This is all very important information that our listeners really need to hear. And you worked with Dick Anderson? Well, Dick had the same
2: problem. When he went in, he asked the same question I did with the free People, and they gave him the same answer, and Jay Paterno, same thing. That's we did, exact,
3: Jake. We all went what, in and asked
2: if we were going to be able to read the notes, and they said no.
4: Yeah, says, Mr Mr. Anderson spoke right up with us with all the pride and honesty that he could and said, do you think if Mr. Sandusky did these awful things, wouldn't I know about it? Well, they go way back. And he was very forthcoming, and that's what why we're appreciating conversations like this the people who have integrity like you, Mr. Bo. Well, I appreciate that. And I want our I want our listeners to to understand it and appreciate it and understand what a scam this freed report was, and hopefully the truth can come out before it's literally too late. Um uh, I did have a question about Joe Paterno again just for our listeners. Um because you were close enough to him and because his name was dragged through the mud and when it was it shook the core of Penn State uh, and State State College Pennsylvania but I just want to hear your candid um, let me ask you candidly tell us about Joe and what kind of person he was Um, well you know
2: Joe, Joe was definitely a good football coach and he was not a figurehead he would. He coached. He knew a lot about football, and no matter, up to his last day, he wasn't going to keep his nose out of the football coaching business. Uh, to the dismay of our offensive coaches, they used to love him to come over and sit with the defense because he sat with the offense. Op- most of the time, uh, but he was really a good football coach. He could coach any position, and and he studied it upside down, inside out. He was highly organized. Uh, When I first was there, we sat and prepared a practice schedule. I never sat through a practice schedule with him saying, okay, we'll start at 4, and at 4.12, not 4.10, not 4.15, this period will go till four twelve. And then at four twenty one we will go into our group period. I'll say twenty-one, twelve. You know, most people go from four to four fifteen, four fifteen to four thirty. But Joe had a way of uh just his own way of being very specific, highly organized, and and uh He uh, definitely uh, was a, a great football coach, but then let's get to what they labeled the grand experiment. Joe believed that you can take the bright kids and channel their energies and you can win with integrity. And in other words, you can win with players that belong at this university that want to be doctors and engineers and lawyers. In other words, what we perceive as the tough programs, postgraduate and all that. Can you play football and can you go through engineering and biomedical science in these classes and can you be successful and can you win many, many major college football games, which he did? He would know when. Uh, let's say a player was an engineering major, and he had a lab, and we're at practice from four to six. This kid has a class at five. He would be out there till for a half hour. Joe had a list of every kid that had to be dismissed from practice to go to a lab or a class late in the afternoon, and he would simply yell your name out. Okay, Matt Millen, you got to get get to class. Bruce Clark, it's time. You got to go to class. You know, know, when people recruit at a lot of schools, they ask the young kid, what do you want to do? Well, I'd like to be an engineer, and they start coughing. Excuse me. Uh, (laughs) You may have trouble with some practice getting in the way of uh, classes or classes getting in the way of practice. And I I remember a couple of our players saying that, and that's what turned them off on those schools. Joe never said that. Joe encouraged them. (laughs) He would encourage him to go to law school. He would help him get into med school if his reference would be uh, appropriate. And uh, he he just definitely was legitimate about, you better go to class or else you're not going to like me and I'm not going to like you. (laughs) Well... Yeah, and listen, don't wear your sweatsuits inside out. Don't wear any hat in the house. In other words, when you walk in the building, you take your hat off. You wear sweatsuits the appropriate way. You wear shoes with socks, unless those shoes or that outfit is uh, appropriate with socks. And he he had all kinds of rules like that, that some kids, uh, you know, may I know one kid never came because... I sat, he was from Oklahoma, and Joe went down that list, and I thought, oh, this kid's goodbye. <laughs> We're not going to see him again. When he went to go to class, no sweatsuits inside out, hats off in the house, and I'm watching this shot guy, and I'm saying, oh, well, that's it. We lose him. But I didn't care. You know what I liked about it with Joe? Those kids came in with their eyes open. They cannot say, they did not know what was expected of them to be a Penn State. Football team member yeah. because the eyes were wide open and if you weren't listening that was your problem and uh, He was uh, he was the real deal when it came to class. We had his he started a student-athlete uh, A, um, uh, a, a, a student-athlete Association where the academic support center was developed they had to go to uh Study hall every night in their freshman year. You had to be in a study hall. And unless you achieved a particular GPA going into your sophomore year, you were still going to go to study hall. We could pay for tutoring and they would never have to spend a dime. And we'd pay for tutoring, whatever those kids needed. He was determined to help them get through school, but in, in the proper way. And uh, Joe never blinked an eye that way. Uh, so he was he was serious about it. And he thought, you know, if uh, he got upset and wanted to discipline a kid, we'd just get in there and, well, maybe that's a little tough, Joe, three games, uh, suspension. And Joe would say, hey, listen, he could get hurt tomorrow and we'd lose him for the season. He said, "This, I owe this to, this kid has to learn that he has to do what he's required to do to get through school, and that is go to class. And uh, so, you know, he always had a good reason, a had great vision, especially for the university. He's the guy that challenged the university. When we won the 82 National Championship and they had him speak to the board, he told them, you gotta build this university to that point. And these weren't the exact words, was like, we wanna be a national championship university and uh, that's when the chairs were developed and he went out and started raising more money than you can imagine for that university and I'll tell you today you'll never in my mind as long as football's alive in this country on a college level you find a football coach that will go out and raise money for a university and and have to be under the pressure of winning football games take the time to go around the country and seek out financial assistance from donors, no one will ever do that. Look, we have a library that he he helped uh, fund with his name on it, you know, an, a wing to the library. We have an arena named after the president of the university. We have a basketball arena. So you got a football coach's name on a library wing and you got the president of the university on a uh, <laughs> athletic sure. center. And uh, Joe, this, the Catholic Center, the Suzanne Poland Paterno Catholic Center, it's under her name because they raised the money for that. And they also raised money for the ecumenical, the entire religious building they went out and raised money for. He was John, always. Yes, I'm sorry. John, I'm on, I'm no, on no, that,
0: no, that's fine. John, that's fine. And this is very important information for people to know, um, particularly those that aren't familiar with the. Uh, You know, a lot of our listeners are people that uh, just read the headlines during the course of this circumstance and have no idea, you know, the backstory of the entire thing. But my question to you would be: uh, You worked with uh, uh, Jerry Sandusky for an extended period of time
1: on the defensive side of the ball. You worked uh, for uh, Joe Paterno. Um,
0: with those two things for an extended, uh, a very extended period of time, when uh, when this uh, alleged scandal came to a head, and knowing those two gentlemen the way you do, what was your thoughts when they were uh, when the media got a hold of this and uh, ran with it? With their story,
2: well, in short, with Jerry, like I said earlier, I couldn't believe it I, I you know the line we talked about previously and say is not the person I knew it's he's not the person I knew that I thought could do anything like that, and as far as Joe's concerned i i I think it all it, it all became about Joe Paterno now. Right. I'm not going to mention names, but I have opinions. You know, Joe had a lot of detractors on the board of trustees. And if yeah. you know, there were there were athletes on that board that played football for Joe Paterno. And at least three. And then there was a former wrestler on that board who was in the athletics department. Uh, and... None of them supported Joe Paterno. Why did it become all about Joe Paterno, that he was hiding something? Well, Joe Paterno, obviously, a, a celebrity, a national celebrity. Uh, and he, when Mike McQuery went to Joe, he, as I get this now, this is the story I get, Mike went to see Joe and started to talk about This locker room thing, and Joe immediately said, Wait a second, you gotta talk to the vice president in charge of the police affairs and the athletics department. They're my bosses. Uh, and he was, it was really out of his, you know, hey, what was he 80 years old, right? Turtle didn't grow up in a, a, a culture. Uh, Or, you know, went to all the Catholic schools, and, you know, we're not all saints, and Joe never claimed to be a saint either, but I could see him getting uncomfortable say, "Ho, ho, hold on a second. You got to talk to these people. And, uh, you know, his sons told the story when they were, Joe was going to the grand jury to testify. You know, he's comfortable. Well, you know, go, go tell. And and they had to say, Dad. You know, this is about – now, again, I'm pretty sure I got this from a good source. And I want to – in this interview, I want to make sure that uh, it's not firsthand. I wasn't there when Joe said this. But they brought up uh, a sexual act, and Joe said, well, what is that anyhow? Now, to yeah. me, that, you know, that uh, was a big bell, a big loud bell about – Joe and I mean the guy lived lived football and family that was it. Uh so all of a sudden now he's the he's a victim and now what happens? How soon did they get rid of Joe? Instead of standing up with three games left, Joe was retiring that year. That was it. And he had three games remaining. And the free report, I don't believe, I can't recall at the time, but I don't, that wasn't completed. And they stood up and said, we're terminating Joe Paterno. And uh, the way they did it was they sent uh, one of the former coaches over with a phone number, gave it to, knocked on the door, gave it to Sue, and said, have Joe call this number.
0: Are you you talking about Fran, Fran Ganner? Yeah, exactly. France.
1: Okay.
2: okay. So, well, see, you know all this stuff. Dick probably shared this with you. But so Joe calls and he told, and Sermon, John Sermon, I think John Sermon, CEO of U.S. Steel at the time, I believe.
1: Yeah. Told him, yeah.
2: Now, he was vice chair. Steve Garvin was chair of the board. Why, Steve? Uh, he played on a football team when Joe was assistant coach there. Well, right. he was the chair and he was a former vice president. So he was Gary Schultz, uh, you know, before Gary. So uh, Serma tells him, you know, he's done. Now, why couldn't they just stand up? And this is my thought have a press conference and say, listen, these are serious matters when the investigation where we've hired so and so they're doing an investigation and when that report is given to us we will then determine the action that needs to be taken and Joker since the last three games
0: yeah well it's it's uh i mean i've said before it's a uh, if it if it wasn't a circumstance that was uh politically motivated or a circumstance that wasn't uh a uh, part of uh, a vendetta or a vindictiveness, so they all would have sat back and thought, and thought to themselves, "What are we actually looking at here?" Before they take action, right? Yeah, I
2: think the words vindictive. I think that word is very appropriate because I I know a lot of the players, and uh, I mean, I know one of the board members was in Dr. Graham's office, uh, Spanier's office, years. Two three years before that, saying you got to get rid of Joe, you know, like it's, he's too old or something. But it was yeah. more than that. It, it wasn't that wasn't. It was more than that.
1: Yeah, I
0: understand. So um, that particular um, person was able to uh, exercise his vindictiveness during this period of time, presumably. Well, they didn't support Joe
2: when they at the board, right? The board right. of trustees. I don't know who did, but they didn't. Right, they being a you know a number of people I'm aware of.
0: Right, as a um, if I can ask you this, you know, if, with your background as having done the, uh, the NCAA compliance um, for the thirty sports, at yes NCAA, yes um, it you know a lot of people look at the fact that the NCAA one um decided to take the results of a private a private investigation um and use that against Penn State for the uh um for the sanctions and the wins and the whole nine yards.
1: But um they also did not Conduct their own investigation
0: because it was outside of their bailiwick of uh, an alleged uh, criminal event. But when, when you, with your background as an NCAA compliance person for all those sports, with your history of, of as you've described them being, uh, young, uh, the, all the all the coaches being on top of everything, when you think that think about the fact that the NCAA used a private the results of a private investigation that doesn't appear to have been based on any facts or have any evidentiary support for what their conclusions were how does that make you feel about the NCAA
2: Oh well, now you're now you're hitting a real sore spot with me. Uh, here's the—you you seem to be right on top of things there. So, but here's the way I—when that happened, I was now retired. My successor, I—when I saw the NCA was going to get involved, I called my successor. I said, Matt, I got to get involved in this. And he said, oh, John, we're in good shape, we hired Gene Marsh. I said, Gene Marsh? I said, why Gene Marsh? And there's a firm I would have hired to work with, Bond, Shenick and King, that's my opinion. They were a group of former lawyers at the NCAA that had a lot to do with the early writing of that rule book. Very good people, very sharp, new NCA Inside Now. So you hire a guy, Gene Marsh, who was a faculty athletics rep at Alabama, and they had their problems under him at Alabama. It was the, the I was told by someone at very close the NCAA, I don't want to drag some people in here that don't want to get involved. Uh but I got a call one day and they said, John, you guys have been playing against paid paid players at Alabama since the days of Bear Bryant.
1: Oh my God. So oh my God.
2: This case, there was a, a big donor that was involved in doing these things. And even as I given benefits to high school coaches and uh, during the, the, the case, uh, uh, the um, actually the donor eventually died, you know, either a heart attack or whatever. But this was coming from a horse's mouth involved in this. So Gene Marsh, he was an FAR for about eight years, faculty athletics rep. I'm sorry, for eight years he was on the NCA committee on infractions for about nine years. Served as a chair for a few years, and he was on a subcommittee that reviewed infractions uh, and published an article on the process, the infraction process. So, you're right when you said the NCA, they used information based on the free report. There was no NCA investigation. So when this happened, the attorneys we worked with at McQuaid Blasco. We were they were on retainer. We never had a full time lawyer until Spanier, Dr. Spanier hired Cynthia Baldwin. She was there at the time, as you know. Right. So what happens is the attorneys I worked with called Cynthia and they said, Cynthia, you gotta talk to John Bose. But not only that, listen to this. I gave Eugene Marsh's background, right? right. John Coyle was an NCA faculty rep and a Big Ten rep for Penn State University for 30 years. Exceptional man. Scott Kretschmar followed John with 14 years experience at the NCA as the NCA faculty rep for Penn State University and the Big Ten. So between John Coyle and Scott Kretschmar and myself, we know what we'd have told the NCA. Initiate your own investigation. We're gonna cooperate fully. They wouldn't have found anything. There were no bylaws. There were no rules broken. The worst thing you could have done was say, well, uh, Jerry is a uh, rep of the Penn, the member, he wasn't working for us at the time, but he is a booster because of his tie to Penn State. So you take a prospect that's not not prospect age. You take a 10, 11 year old kid, Which Jerry would do, bring him into the weight room and teach him how to lift weights. Well, now they could say, well, that's a benefit that's not available to all, all kids that age. Therefore, you now made him a prospect, and you must follow the rules and treat him as a prospect. That would have been it. That's the worst they could have done. Wow! And so they go, and if they do their own investigation, they find nothing. And we now, how does Gene Marsh? allow Penn State to sign the consent decree? Beyond, I, read, I ran down his background. Uh, he has all this experience and sat on the infractions committee. Why would he believe that that consent decree was uh, uh, acceptable? Now, remember, the rule about death penalty, remember they were throwing around death penalty, death penalty.
4: Yes. Yeah. Well,
2: you know, you don't qualify for the death penalty unless you had a major violation previously, and then they got to find a second major violation. Then, if they want, I guess they can enforce the death penalty. Hence they didn't qualify for a death penalty. But you know, think about this. Now, this is just this is me for sure. The consent decree was a sixty million dollar fine, but more important than that, it was four years no bowl game and scholarships, and you were allowed as a student athlete in football, you could transfer not one year without penalty, but two years they gave them the transfer. Now you're a freshman at Penn State University, and you're being told you're never going to go to a bowl game? Right. you think they're going to stay? They don't just, they go to school for an education, but they want to be on television they want to go to bowl games. Right. So to me, that was a sneaky way to try and inflict a death penalty-type situation on Penn State University. And I know two people that were in the meeting that when Penn, when uh, Emmert said, they said, we're going to get involved in this, two veterans in the meeting said, why? We never get involved in criminal or civil matters now if the criminal or civil matter is settled and in there there's confirmed violations maybe they get involved but they never get involved but in on the start of these things and not knowing the results criminal civil matters think of it did they get involved in the baylor case no there was the basketball situation and there was a murder or something and the coach was telling people they never did in any of those things there was a case in virginia where someone got one of the athletes got murdered by a boyfriend or something. They, it, it, oh
0: yeah, this right is across. Yeah,
2: yeah. This is unheard of. So, and they were veterans. They were two of the top guys in the meeting that did enforcement. I was told that there was someone. I I thought, well, how did this? How did they even decide to get into this? Well, someone inside was telling Emmerich, Pushing him to get in. Now, this is again. Uh, it, to me, it's firsthand. But it, right.
0: you know,
2: I want. To, how do I qualify this? I don't want to. It's. It's what I. My opinion based on what I heard.
0: But he was. It's told, your understanding from a person that uh, has direct knowledge of it. Thank you. You guys are better at it than me. Okay. Bottom line is this: he was told. You've got
2: to get in this. You've got to get in it. This is a big thing. You, it's sort of like it'll make a name for you. You can't sit. He was pushed by someone inside to get involved in this. And they didn't belong in it. And with Cynthia Baldwin ignoring the attorneys at McQuaid Blasco to get a hold of all the experience we had, and for Gene Marsh to not say, you that consent decree is a joke. Now, in the court case that Corman brought, you know about that one, obviously,
0: right? Uh, senator Jake Corman, can you yeah. just tell us quickly All what right. that's he, about? Sure. He. Uh, he senator, just for the just for the purpose of our listeners, uh, Senator Jake Corman is a state senator uh, in Pennsylvania, which covers uh, Center County. Is that right? Is that right? Yes. Tony? Yes. Okay. If you could uh, describe what his uh, what his court case is or was.
2: Well, here's what. I, I'm sure that it started with the $60 million because the bulk of that was going to go out of state. I believe the NCAA, they were the ones that were going to determine who got it after the money that they were going to take and use out of state for different uh, child services. Jake says, whoa, hold on, that's Penn State or that's Pennsylvania money. So he brings them to court. and.
1: In the end, just to get to the end of it, I think, uh, I forget who the judge was, but whoever the
2: judge was understood the NCAA rulebook, and they voided the consent decree. So that meant all the victories came back to the Penn State kids. So again, yeah, Side of Joe's name is 409 victories. It voided the scholarship problems. They got back into the bowl games, but, Senator Corman's real victory for him was he kept the sixty million in state. Now I thought he could have gone on and erased the sixty million, but I guess you know that's nothing he had to do. But the consent decree was voided, and the medicate the money was going to be dedicated to help child abuse victims in PA. So the judgment against Penn State or the against it was wrong. The judgment against the Penn State community was wrong. It damaged a bundle of uninvolved people, and uh, it, it, and there was no due process. That wasn't a due process. That consent decree thing.
0: Uh, well, so,
1: had had
0: Cynthia Baldwin,
1: who is a uh, for our listeners, is was the um, uh, general counsel for. Uh, Penn state at the time, and she's a former uh
0: pennsylvania state P- supreme court justice um but uh, and just to bring it right up to date um she's uh ha- has her own problems with the uh, uh pennsylvania office of uh, disciplinary counsel um where she'll be looking down looking down the barrel at some discipline for her actions in that case that you're talking about. But if I understand it correctly, had Cynthia Baldwin reached out, as per McQuaid and Blasco, to uh, use the NCAA experience, significant experience that Penn State had at at their disposal by those two two gentlemen that you spoke about, um, she would be able to advise that this consent decree is not something that uh it even applies to this circumstance is that that's correct co-
2: that's correct listen in that court case horman's case they had emails for, uh, between uh, i guess free and whatever and the words bluff were used in those emails yeah. we we can bluff them we have them sort of like they're backed into a corner they'll sign anything right well If you recall, they were actually, as I understand it, Free and the NCA people were meeting together during their investigation. The NCA tells Free, his people, here's the questions you want to ask to help them determine if there's any violations. They did the same thing in the Miami case, but what they did wrong there, they actually hired the lawyer for the guy that was in the jail that was oh providing the benefits, yeah, and they paid that lawyer, and gave, because they don't have subpoena power, and some of the former players wouldn't meet with the NCAA, so they hired the lawyer, and then it cost a person their job at the NCAA, which should have happened. But that's, you know... With their not kosher. De-
0: definitely not kosher.
2: No. So, so uh, then they're bluffing us, you know, and, and you know what? Unfortunately, there was no one involved in the administration at that point in time or on the board of trustees that could even come close to having the uh, respect that John Coyle, Scott Kretchmar, like I said, we simply would have agreed to help the NCA in their investigation. You initiate an investigation, and we will cooperate fully,
1: knowing there's nothing there. But instead, we have a circumstance, uh, particularly with the
0: NCAA, where they're taking the—they're working with a private investigative entity that bears the name of— in my opinion, a discredited former political appointee, and they're taking the results of that investigation that has no evidentiary support and using that to penalize penn state and if you're and as you've described um, emirate knew or should have known that he had no business um even involved in this but somebody told him that he should get involved because it'll make him a higher profile person well
2: it it like, would it would boost the image of the ncaa let's be let's you know I don't want to I don't want to say it would make you know emmeritt look like a hero I I don't want to uh regardless of what I disagree with some of his you know behavior the right. thing is, it would give the NCA a feather in their cap. They get involved. This was an awful topic to be dealing with, and you're going to step in and you're going to show that you can carry the, you know, the ball for all children that have ever been abused or whatever. But when you say should have known, how can you not sit in a meeting and have a couple of veterans say we don't belong in this? Right.
0: Oh, my God.
2: Well, so how about just... Dean Marsh? It puzzles me to this day. Dean Marsh had to be talking with the NCAA. I know he was as a representative for Penn State. They hired him. Now, why? And this fellow with all this experience, and he's out there now, you know, he's, I think he's still working as a, like a Bond, Shinnick, and King. He's with a law firm that represents universities that get, you know, letters of inquiry from the NCAA.
0: I
1: mean, so he, so at
0: the, at, he should yeah. have known. Uh, he knew, or should have should have known that that consent decree was not applicable to this circumstance.
2: That's my opinion. I mean, you know, yeah. if you know the rule on death penalty, we <laughs> didn't qualify. So why? And, and and probably are 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 they sitting there telling our administration, listen, they're gonna they're talking about the death penalty. You better reconsider and look at this consent decree or whatever. I don't know, but I'm puzzled to this day. I'd love to hear Gene say why he didn't advise Penn State to not accept that consent decree. I
0: don't know. Possibly. Uh, well, it appears from what from the uh, previous uh, interviews we've conducted and the uh, information that we've gathered that, you know, free, the... Uh, a private investigation there was a, through his private investigation was it was a big effort on his part to ingratiate himself with the NCAA for the position that he uh, now has. Absolutely. As a contract investigator. Same thing applies possibly to uh, Gene Marsh, um, ingratiating himself to the NCAA for various reasons. Well, he certainly had a lot of friends there for all the involvement he had as uh, committee members. What, you know, what is on- your. As as a uh, as an NCAA compliance officer, um, what are your thoughts on the fact that uh, the NCAA turns around and hires free the discredited former political appointee as a contract investigator for them when he comes out uh, with a report? that comes up with a report on Penn State that has no evidentiary support. I mean, what's your thought on that?
2: Well, years ago, I don't know if, uh, one of our board members today, who's a strong supporter of our side, of, of Joe Paterno's side of it, he predicted that that was what they were looking for. He said, I think Free's trying to put himself in a position to get, I'll use the word business, with the NCAA and darn if it didn't happen. Now, supposedly the basketball mess that Condoleezza Rice was the chairperson of the committee oh, that yes. they had. Right. Well there it said that that committee's recommendation was to do something like this. To instead of using their own enforcement people, calling the people like Freeze Group hire them, and, you know, if you look at the group they hired, the dominant number of people in that in that group are free people. Uh, so, but they're we're, saying we're, the yeah. people I know believe that because uh, that Condoleezza's Rights Committee's committee um, recommended they do something like this. And so it didn't have to be free. It could have been someone else. Right, right.
0: yeah, it could have been someone else that uh, was able to come up with a report that might have had evidentiary support. But uh, again, I mean, you know, our our review and uh, the alumni uh, trustees report of it, as well as a variety of outside sources, and the review of the source documents of the free report are indicative of the fact that there is absolutely no evidentiary support for the conclusions that he draws. Um, it would make one, particularly with yourself, with the the background that you have in the NCAA compliance uh, arena, um, it would cast great doubt on his uh, integrity to conduct a investigation. Well in
2: in I, I I I'm not the word integrity in me applies to those NCA authorities. I don't understand. I mean I you know, I I just don't understand how they felt good about this. I, I, I you know, it's the Chancellors they were the ones that, you know, put this stuff together. And and so I can remember when Tom Bradley was offered a job by Jim Moore
0: at UCLA, well, John, John, let me just uh, for our listeners: Tom Bradley was a uh, uh, was previously the Penn State defensive coordinator. Is that correct? Yes. uh-huh Yeah, and then he was. Uh, if I call, if I recall correctly, he was the interim head coach for one game, right? Well, it might have been the. Well, maybe it was the three
2: games because uh, Joe didn't coach the last three games. Tom won. They won one of the three games. Right. So maybe I'm sorry. A...
0: I, I just wanted to uh, – I mean, people may have heard the name Tom Bradley, yeah, but I just wanted yeah. them to be able to put it into context that he was yeah. the previous long-time – Defensive coordinator for Penn State. Go ahead, I'm I'm am
2: Well sorry. anyhow, he was offered a job by Jim Mora and the Chancellor at UCLA, I think that's what you called him, was on that committee that approved the consent decree. So and he told Jim Mora he couldn't approve that hire. But now then a year later, to be fair, Mora was able to hire him. Why I don't know. But uh but he was denied that job, uh, supposedly by the chancellor who was on the committee at the NCAA that put together the consent decree.
0: Well, there must be, John. There must be, you know, your um, your history as uh, thirty years of Penn State, um, primarily as a uh, as an assistant football coach under Joe Paterno. Um, a, a, on the uh, defensive side of the ball with Jerry Sandusky, and then subsequently, you know, compliance uh, NCAA, a compliance officer overseeing thirty thirty uh, sports. Um, I would I would certainly think that that there were a lot of coaches you know personally that were adversely impacted by um this alleged circumstance and the free report that had no evidentiary support for. What can you tell us what coaches um generally what, what, what kind of uh what kind of injuries the the uh, damages the coaches suffered as a result of that? Well they had a difficult time getting jobs and the the one I always think
2: about uh, dominantly was Bill Kenny. Uh, Bill Kenny was uh, immediately approached by a offensive line coach of the New York Giants who happened to be at Penn State at one time, and he wanted Bill to be his uh, assistant. But he didn't get that job. Tom Coughlin was the head coach there, and Tom's really – I like Tom Coughlin a lot. And uh, what's interesting is uh, Bill said that uh, – Pat Flaherty was the offensive line coach he said to Bill before he met with Tom he said listen now he's not going to meet with you long it'll only be a few minutes Bill Kenny said I got out of there about 35 minutes later and it was all discussion about the the events at Penn State and um, he didn't get the job he had a devil of a time getting a job and I don't know how long it took him but when he did get a job, someone he knew went to Western Michigan, who's now the head coach at Minnesota, uh, gave Bill a job. Well, they started to make decent money in those days. And I would say Bill was probably in the six figures. And he had to go to Western Michigan, which, you know, they're all good schools. It's football. It's the same game. But he went for about 75000 So. Wow. Pretty good cut, and he might have been closer to number two hundred when he was at Penn State. I'm guessing, but it probably was about that. Okay. And uh, so he had that problem. Another young fella ended up eventually at Old Dominion. So now you go back on Bill Kenny. Bill Kenny had Tom Osborne as a reference because he worked in Nebraska. And right, he had Joseph Turner. Oh my he God, he worked for twenty, thirty years. He was around. Two of the biggest-named coaches in football who really had a, a, a good degree of integrity in the game and respect, and he couldn't get anywhere. To this day, he's still at Western Michigan. But then Ron Vanderlind and well, this was Ron did get kept. Two guys were kept on at um, Penn State, Larry Johnson and Ron Vanderlinden. Right, and I think that Bill O'Brien was told because they had a lot of respect and they were good recruiters and but Bill was an ace recruiter too, now that I mention it, but uh, I believe O'Brien was told to keep those two, but uh. then eventually, I think Ron got let go for i think for whatever reasons he ended up at the Air Force Academy, but you know those fellows were just probably going to plan on retiring at Penn State. Um and then now Galen and Dick Dick Anderson retired and Galen Hall retired. Right, right. So you know, they just called it a a, a career. But uh it it it's like I say it was like they were branded like with the scarlet letter.
4: <laughs> and right. you know,
2: and, and all of us like how many times I was challenged saying that I knew, I knew. I didn't know anything I didn't know what they the so that, did Jerry
0: did the did the 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 free um,
2: no no of, These or? are just people and when, when you meet someone they <clears> find <throat> out you know that uh, you work there you you know you say, well, what did you do? I'm retired well, where did you work? I worked in athletics well where is your last time? you know you they keep Yeah. it's like you're on the stand and eventually they find out you work at Penn State and you happen to Know the football program, and I said, "Well, you must have known." And of course, that's like it was—it's amazing. Listen, some of the people thought Joe Paterno was the predator. Oh and my God! That's how yeah. I'm serious. I've had people that, that thought it was all about him doing this stuff to children.
0: Um, and, and you know, it's—I it's, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said that it became all about Joe because of his stature yeah, as a <laughs> legendary football coach, that the and media the, turned it into that.
2: And the people that had a little vendetta
0: for Joe. Yes, yes,
2: yes. No doubt. No doubt about it. I mean, I I know who they are. And a little, just, just very
0: troubling.
1: Well, John, uh,
0: we know who they are, too and uh hopefully we're gonna to get to a point where you know somebody's gonna to have to answer some hard questions beyond the fact that you know um a a private investigation is used again a private investigation with no um evidentiary support for the conclusions was used by the n c a a to um come out come out with uh uh incredible uh, incredible penalties that are subsequently uh for the most part reversed but the thing is you can't re- you can't reverse people's reputations after that no it's right? not. It, it listen like i
2: said you're wearing that scarlet letter uh it's amazing what the media does to the public and you know, you know when you read articles about this you read misquotes. You read it being made bigger. Yeah, it's not true with some of
0: this stuff. This, right, you this. know, Tom, Tom certainly has a big problem with the the way the media approaches it, as do we We all. But, uh, Tom, do you have anything to say about, you know, the media playing with this and
4: misquoting uh, it? I'm sure we're all educated to the point now that we know that the media – is no longer in the service of reporting the news, but creating the news. And if they, they're like a dog with a bone. They get a story, they don't care if it's true or not. We're gonna hold on to it, we're gonna make the biggest thing and we're gonna get, we're gonna get audience. And that's all they really care about now. And this whole Penn State, this this whole story, and I'm a late comer, where I started to learn the true facts after one particular federal investigation, but when I found out that this all came to anything but fruition, it's all nonsense and lies and media-driven convictions. It's, it just makes me sick, and it's opened my eyes to many other cases. Um, I hope I hope justice can be done someday, and and I hope the media pays for all the sins that they're doing these days. It's it's just out of control. It's all political correctness and placating, and it's just nonsense. But that's me, my soapbox, and um, by yeah. the way, I just really appreciate every word that you've given today, and I think uh, it does give us all a little hope that there is still some integrity left in this world. And uh, keep, fighting, keep fighting the good fight. If you are involved, stay involved. You
2: know, I uh, I'm not going to talk about my uh, blood and and me being from an Italian family, but it (laughs) it just uh, you just you have some kind of competitive something going on in your genes, and uh, and it just gets gets me. uh, so disappointed and and upset because you you're right the media controlled this painted the picture that a lot of people the wrong they painted an inaccurate picture and good people suffered and, and especially Joe and the family and uh, you No, know, I you're talking about how did we uh, you know how the other coaches had trouble. Here's a Here's something I personally got touched, uh, uh, something they did When you retire at Penn State in football and you're there 25 years, one of the good things is you get a nice health care benefit. You stay involved with the Penn State health care. But the other thing in the athletics department, they would give us four complimentary football tickets, and we had the right to buy 14, and they had to be turned in by Thursday if you didn't buy them to the ticket office so they could sell them Thursday before the game. Well, when Dave Joyner became the interim athletic director, all of a sudden we get the opportunity to buy fourteen is now zero. We can't buy any. Oh, wow! The four complimentary tickets become two. Yeah. Uh, what's what is it? That Dave Joyner was a footballer at Penn State, and he was a wrestler.
3: Yeah. And I
2: I say Dave was one of Joe's first. I call him one of Joe's first. Poster child children why because he became an orthopedic surgeon and uh, unfortunately I think he went bankrupt in his business and uh, he had a good friend that helped him out but I, I couldn't understand that why why would they do something like that and uh, they they took those tickets away from us they took the right to buy away from us
0: do you think and, do you think uh, Dave uh, Joiner as you said, uh he was an offensive lineman, I think, wasn't he? And yeah. a and a heavyweight wrestler. Was right. he uh did he have some axe to grind with uh either Joe or somebody in the football? Well program? you
2: know, what some people think um uh, just to give you a little history about the, our dealings with doctors for the football kids, we had to have the orthopedic surgeon from Hershey at the medical school visit once a week to review some of the injuries. We had doctors, but they weren't surgeons. Dr. Kalanak was our surgeon. It would come up from Hershey, but like once a week. So Joe eventually got the idea and the effort to go out and re- he said, listen, talk to her. let's talk to Hershey and see if the medical school would go in with us developing a sports medicine facility on campus.
0: Wow, that's a forethought. thought. So wow. that
2: happened. That wow. happened. Built the building. We had sports medicine facility. Now you had to hire a director of sports medicine, an orthopedic surgeon. Well, Joe Paterno wasn't going to be the guy to pick the surgeon. You think the hospital, the, the people at Hershey will let Joe pick a doctor? <laughs> yeah, right, right. So what happens is they hired... Wayne Sebastianelli, good fellow, did a good job. But I, people think Dave Joyner wanted that job.
1: And they're not
2: sure. Now, there was a Sports Illustrated article on this interviewing a doctor, and he backed off a little bit, but it was pretty, it was pretty uh, revealing. Uh, But there's people who think that Dave obviously was, disappointed that he didn't get that job because they think he wanted it. And so then, you know, you say, well, what happened? When Dave became the interim athletic director, Wayne Sebastianelli was removed as director of sports medicine.
0: And- well, uh, Oh, and well, that's then, interesting. So, that's interesting.
2: Well, and then they hired of Hershey, Scott Lynch was a national wrestling champion at Penn State University, a very, I believe, of the highest integrity, exceptional individual. He, I'll call him a kid when, you know, he was a wrestler when I was working there. Scott, he becomes an orthopedic surgeon. And he's a Hershey. So Dave has Scott become the doctor, the you know, sports medicine guy for football anyhow. Well, he had to come up like the old days. Now we're back to once a week. So then what happens just recently, and I don't know if you read about it, Scotty got relieved of that position.
0: Oh, that's right.
2: And they put now that, you know, there's a new athletic director. Now Wayne is back to being the head of sports medicine on campus, Wayne Sebastianelli. So, but what's interesting is Scott not it's obviously to me he has a he's suing Penn State University for being relieved of that position and maybe they mentioned the the football coach being involved Scott claims that he was let go because he would not approve players as healthy to play when he was being pressured he says by the coaches, and he claims that's why he was let go. Now, of course, the coaches can have a decent argument. Well, once a week it was not good enough. It was that's the reason. So we wanted someone here every day, like beforehand. So they're back to Wayne Sebastianelli. But Scott, I think the suit is asking about fifty thousand. Now that's obviously just a matter to me of principle. It's not, he's not looking for a big payday. Right. I think he's, and I I want to tell you, Scott Lynch says something to me, I'm going to believe him. I, I have great respect for that. I'll call him a young man, but he's, I guess he's in his 50s today, but I'm an old man, so.
0: Right, okay. It's all relative,
2: right? Yeah, yeah, right. I,
0: my wife tells me I've never grown up, but, you know. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, it's amazing
1: to see a person uh, hang in there with all this stuff happening, Um, you know, to go through the uh, three inquiries
0: and see how they uh, obviously colluded with the NCAA um, so they could both – and the state for that matter, um, to to uh, come to, uh, you know, benefits that they wanted to get out of this, regardless of what the truth was, so.
2: Uh, well, you know, it's so, uh, like, it's so disappointing to me when I hear firsthand from people like, uh, you know, like, I have... You know, I have great respect for law enforcement. I have many good friends I grew up with that have, in fact, down here. I'm back in Wilmington now. And my high school friends, uh, one of them, Harry Minelski, was chief of police here. Then when he retired for Wilmington, Delaware, he retired and became head of security at DuPont. He hired a lot of his friends that were retiring off the force. And the state policemen and all that and then when I was in State College, we had an FBI office up there and they, we would use them to talk to our athletes about gambling and things of that nature. Right. And I remember when our guys were being subpoenaed to be interviewed in Harrisburg. Right. They come back and they say, John, these guys, they're in our faith. They're using bad language. They're using the F word and the MF word and you know you're lying. And I had said something to uh, my FBI friend, and he said, John, that's not appropriate. He said, uh, you know, obviously he wasn't a supporter of that kind of an interview. And uh, and then there was the one occasion when uh, a fellow was with Joe for 26 years as his uh, ops guy, and uh, he's a very good fellow. And he, he was saying to me, he said, John, you know, those investors, they don't believe me. I said, well, Tom, you don't worry about us. You told them the truth. I mean, why don't even worry about that, that they don't believe you? So he ends up uh, being hired by O'Brien, and uh, they're going to introduce the new staff to the Department of Athletics, the new football staff, and Tommy yeah. is going to be introduced. So when he walks into the Bryce Georgia Center, Dave Joyner was standing there. Now, I'm just putting two and two together. You guys are police officers. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm thinking, okay. Tommy goes in, and he's standing there talking to Joyner, and he's telling Joyner that they don't believe me. He got into that conversation. Wow. Now, they're introduced. Tommy's introduced as a staff member. The next morning, now Tom's telling me this, the next morning, he gets a call, and I'm going to be as accurate as I can be. But actually, before eight o'clock in the morning, it might have been seven, from Human Resources. He's told that he's no longer employed. What? What? Yeah, yeah. And he has to bring his keys down and clean his office out. Well, the football coach went to his defense and said, "You cannot." like, make him leave the university, you have to give him something in the athletics department. Well, the football coach was brand-new hired, great guy. I liked him a lot. O'Brien, Bill O'Brien. Right. And, uh, and he said, listen, uh, you can't do this. Give him something. So he's in uh, the facilities and operations still in the uh, uh, football office. I mean, no, he was told you're no longer allowed in the football building. You're gonna have this job over here in the Bryce Jordan Center, but you cannot go in the football building. So now, um, he gets appeaded again, and he goes down to, I'm gonna say Harrisburg. And as the, I think it was Fina that comes in, and I said, I think now, I don't wanna be held to that. But whoever it is, the, the, the interviewer walks in to Tom, and they get, like, okay, up to date, what's he doing? And he tells them, I, I'm not with football. I'm not allowed in the building. And the fella said, well, you're no good to me anymore. I thought you were lying to keep your job. Oh. So, you
0: know, so there, there's a, you know, a lot of so people. He had a conversation with Dave Joyner that uh... – Subsequently, resulted in all that. That's that's what he told. He told uh, me I
2: walked brother, into there. Uh, I brother. said you talked to Dave about that. I said I told you. What are you so worried about? That you got to talk. And and really, the next day he was terminated out of well as a result ended not from the university but out of football. So I don't know. I don't. You know I'm not blaming Dave Joyner, but. It it happened that
0: quick. It is. uh, Yeah, that's very interesting. And uh, it's also interesting the, uh, you know, the tentacles of uh, vindictiveness and vendettas that (laughs) went on there. And,
1: uh, you know, now I think uh, people are waking up to the fact that uh, it was, that whole thing was uh, motivated by you know, politically
0: motivated and uh, vindictive-driven. And uh, it's just shocking, the uh, you know, your average person on the street that
1: uh, it could go that far and they could get away with it. And uh, we want to be able to uh, pursue it as much as possible to, you know, right or wrong there, obviously. Yeah, well,
2: we appreciate the fact that you for what you – fellows are doing, and Ann. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Just,
3: uh, Thank you. <laughs> well,
2: it's just again, it's a very disappointing experience. I don't know that you know we'll people like that. I've been tied to. I don't know if we'll ever get over it. And you know how yeah, it, I, you know how
0: Dick feels. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to to have your uh, you know, you guys to have that uh, connection with the program and speak as highly as you do with the program, and speak as highly as you do about the integrity in the program, and the the uh, uh, speak highly about the uh, the culture in the program, and then you've got uh, people that come out of nowhere, again with uh, no evidentiary support to try to tear that uh, culture down. Um, with the help of the media, oh, again yeah. with no evidentiary support. I mean, I can you know I can't really imagine having, you know, the connections that you have, you know, the history that you've had, the experience that you've had with the, uh, the Penn State football program and athletic department, and the NCAA. Yeah, I have good friends see, at the NCAA to see everybody fail, and uh, you know. Uh, and and acquiesce to political and and uh, vindictive motivations must be very 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 disappointing to you. I mean, I don't even know if disappointing is the right word to to use. To yeah, it may not be strong that. enough. But yeah, I'm, I was just yeah, going to say I'm not the English major, John. We really appreciate it. There's Keith. Uh, there's no nowhere else we can go for that kind of perspective and we greatly appreciate you taking the time to share that with us and our listeners i think that they'll be uh uh riveted to hear what you've what you've said and we, i hope
2: i didn't get myself involved in uh, i mean i told from my heart and what i'm i believe a lot of it is uh uh, uh, opinions like you say from pretty good information. It's not like I sat in a room when whatever whatever, but um, I, I, On the NCA matter absolutely absolutely, Strongly convinced that what I shared with you is as Accurate as can be and I would love some pay for Jamar. Marsh. I never call him. I never talked to him I've never met him personally, but I'd love to know what, why why he you know helped Penn State stay with the consultation.
1: Right, right. So to
0: find that, out. give me a call. Knowing <laughs> that it doesn't pertain. Well, you know what? We are very interested in that and uh we're gonna follow through. Okay. So, John, uh again, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. We're uh we're in your debt to uh give us uh, perspective from from inside uh john thank you very much thank you
2: thank you all and have a have a good rest of the day
4: thank you mr bow we appreciate you thank you john, thanks again it. thank you
1: thank you're you you're welcome all yep. right bye wow that's mind-blowing huh so um
0: as, as we always say if uh if you're a uh a law enforcement officer and if you have a uh case that uh You've done an awesome job on and the uh, media has in some fashion uh, construed it or uh, caused it to become something that's irrecognizable from what you, the awesome work you've done. We'd love to uh, have the opportunity to promote that. Please contact us. Um, or if you're a uh, uh, a listener or um, um, are interested in the cases that we're pursuing, if you have any information that you think might be pertinent, um please contact us and you can do so through our website. Uh our website is uh searchwarrantpodcast.com and our email address is uh search zero two at gmail dot com. Again, uh, you can just use the uh, contact page through the uh through the website which is searchwarrantpodcast.com. dot com. And we're also on uh, Twitter at uh, at search warrant one Okay, uh, thank you very much. Uh, we'll be back with you uh, again very, very soon. Um, hang in there.